Amen. Well, with that in mind, let's, we've already prayed that God would speak to us. So if you've got your Bible, if you would like to open your, uh, just mm, before you open your Bible, you go to 1 Samuel. Okay, uh, I'm going to give it away a little bit, but we're starting tonight again with uh, famous one-liners with a W. I'm being a little punish. I don't know, is that a pun or a play on words? Famous Old Testament one-liners and the life lessons within them. I have enjoyed this immensely, and even tonight I think it's going to be a great opportunity for you to learn a lot as well as grow spiritually, as well as God uh, do some things in your life and some impart some truth into your life. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you the one-liner, and then I'm going to ask how many people know who's... Uh, you know, who are the characters involved in this one-liner? Uh, and then uh, I've already kind of given away where it is because I said First Samuel. But here it is. Here's the one-liner, what I call a famous one-liner. Now, if, it, if it's not famous to you, it needs to be famous. And tonight, we're going to make it famous in your life, not infamous, but famous. Here it is. Here's the one-liner. Uh, it says, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Let's all say it together, one out loud. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now, who knows who said this? Anybody know who said this? Josh knows who said this. So no, so this verse is not famous, only to Josh. Who knows who it was said to? Okay. Oh, we got two. Okay. All right. Is she just not raising her hand? She knows? She knows. You got to raise your hand. I won't, I won't, embar- I won't embarrass you. All right. Uh, okay. With that in mind, it's going to become famous. Who said it, Josh? God to David. God said this to David in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. Everybody turn there. God said it to David in 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. And I'm going to... I'm going to give you the quickie version here, and then I'm going to go back, and we're going to build a historical context to why this happened and, or what was going on in and around David's life when God spoke to him in 1 Samuel. That David had come back off the battlefield, he and his uh, mighty men, and they had come home, and it says, oh gosh, let's jump in in verse 1. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south, And Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there for small to great. They they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came into the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Everybody say, oh my goodness. That's a bad day. They're having a bad day, right? Anybody ever had a day that was that bad? Okay. All right. So I just want you to get context here. Sometimes we look at our days and we think they're bad days. Now, David and his men are experiencing a bad day. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. Now, catch this. You got, I want you to put yourself into this into this story. I want you to I want you to get emotionally engaged. I want you to think about the scenario. They came into the city and it was burned with fire and their daughters and their wives were taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Now, 
That's some serious grieving going on. That's some serious sorrow. This is not a bunch of people trying to comfort one person. There's no one here to comfort anybody. They are all at a great loss in their life. And it goes on to say, uh, then David, they lifted up their voices until they uh, had no more power to weep. In verse 6, now David was greatly distressed. That means under great pressure. Everyone say under great pressure. Now David was, you know, let me just pause. You know why David was under great pressure? Not just because he had lost his family, because he was the leader of all the others who had lost their family. How many of you know leadership can have its pressure points? He's under great pressure, okay? And it says, for the people spoke of stoning him. These are his close companions. They spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people were grieved. Everyone say grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, I'm telling you that word right there. That, that's a power pack. We could, we could have used that as the famous one-liner. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And he goes on to say, And then David said to Abathar the priest, uh, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. Speaking of the priestly garment. And Abathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God answered David, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. Now the story is this, that David and, some, and 600 men took off after them. And they began to pursue with hot pursuit. And then it gets down to verse 10 and 400 uh, pursued. He had 400 men. No, he's, yeah. He and the 600 men who were with him came to the brook Bezor where those, stay, those who stayed were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men for 200 men stayed behind who were so weary they couldn't cross the brook Bezor. Long story short, they pursued, they overtook them. And they invaded them, and it says David recovered. Look down in verse 19. And nothing of theirs was lacking, neither small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Everyone say recovered all. Now, that's a powerful story, and it brings uh, forth some great insight and truth that we're going to look at momentarily about David and how, what brought him to the place to be able to do such a thing, be able to respond in such a way when everybody in the camp had, had suffered great loss, when they wept till there was no more power to weep. Listen, how many of you know uh, there's a time to weep? Hello? There's a time to weep. And they wept till they had no more power to weep. But David, who was under great pressure, responded rightly. And we're going to look at that in just a little bit. But how many of you know, David just didn't respond rightly just out of the clear blue. And as we learned when he, when he, uh, we, one of our one-liners was uh, with him and Goliath. What did he tell Goliath uh, in the beginning of his ministry? This is really the beginning of his ministry was, the, was Goliath. How many of you would like to slay a Goliath at the front end of your uh, uh, warrior ministry? Well, he did, and he said to the Goliath, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts who you have defiled uh, and the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. That's a powerful way to stand up against your enemies. And all of us have our enemies, right? 
All of us have our obstacles, right? All of us have, nobody, all of us have our pressure points, right? So we learn from these guys and we learn the spiritual truth, the practical truth, the leadership truths that come from the Word of God. So that's what we're going to do in a little bit. I'm going to build a little more about David, but let me give you a historical context. If you want to go back to 1 Samuel 16, uh, I'm just going to run through it quickly uh, just to kind of give you a historical context of what's going on. Now, I didn't think through this enough to give you the timetable. It couldn't be too long between David's anointing by Samuel and his then pursuing for you shall doubtless recover it all. So if you begin in 1 Samuel 16, you remember we went there a few days, a few weeks ago when we, when we introduced David to you right before he slays Goliath. In 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed the future king. You remember the story? How do you remember the story? Samuel came to the house of Jesse and said, you know, out of your house is the, is the future king. I want to anoint him. He brought all his sons, and none of them were the right one, the big, the good-looking, uh, you know, the, the brawn, the brain. No, they're not it. Do you have any more? Well, I got this little teenager, pimply-faced kid out in the field, uh, uh, he, you know. Uh, he said, bring him to me, and that was David. Some people say, how do you know he was pimply-faced? Well, well, one scripture calls him ruddy. He had a ruddy complexion. Some preacher turned that into pimples. I don't know if that's true or not. But, uh, but you know, he said, yeah, I got this kid out there. And, and, and I inferred this to you the, a couple weeks ago that, that David uh, may have been an illegitimate son. And as a result, not by his father considered a real part of the family. Therefore, not even brought into play when it came to the potential anointing by his father. How many of you know that'd give you the warm fuzzies all over? Oh, uh, my dad forgot about me. That's 1 Samuel 16. And also, uh, after that happened, you know, Saul had a distressing spirit. From the, you know the Spirit of the Lord lifted off of Saul, and it came upon David there, and David was the anointed future king. And Saul had a distressing spirit come upon him and it ended up that David came and would play for him and ended up being Saul's armor bearer. Everybody got that? You remember that? You got it? Look up at me. Say, I got it. Okay. All right. That's 1 Samuel 16. And then 1 Samuel 17, we've already looked at it. What happened in 1 Samuel 17? What did David do? What did David do in 1 Samuel 17? He killed the Goliath. He slayed the Goliath. 1 Samuel 18, it doesn't take long uh, for David to begin to be resented by Saul because all the women, now when the women start liking you, man, you know you got the anointing of the Lord on you. All the women said, verse 7, so the women sang as they danced and said, they made up a song about little David and it irritated Saul. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, how many of you know if you're the king, that doesn't set well with you? And Saul's already got a distressing spirit, and it didn't take long. Uh, you know, and, and the Bible says David loved Saul, and Saul in some ways loved David. But the, his, his emotions, his anger, all these things compiled together, and he would try to kill David. He'd throw spears at him and try to kill him. How many of you know it's hard to serve your master when he's always chunking spears at you? 
Anybody, everybody been in that kind of scenario on any level? You know, you're trying to help and serve and people keep throwing things at you. Uh, and so that was David. And so 1 Samuel 18, Saul res, uh, is resentful and jealous of David. Psalm, uh, 1 Samuel 19, Saul seeks to kill David. 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan, which is Saul's, uh, Saul's son, David and Jonathan were very close. They were very uh, uh, uh heart-knit brothers, uh, and they loved each other. And uh, uh, so in Psalm, 1 Samuel, I keep saying Psalm, 1 Samuel 20, uh, David and Saul, pardon me, Jonathan, they got together, and Jonathan uh, intervened in all this trauma and tension with Saul and David, and David ends up fleeing, okay? He said, I've, it's t- I, you know, I've had too many rocks thrown at me, too many spears. David had actually tried to, uh, pardon me, Saul had actually tried to kill him twice that we know of, and so he flees. And so now we find him in 1 Samuel 22. This is interesting. I want to read this to you. It's kind of cool. And David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, now catch this, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, so he became captain over them. Did you get this? Now, these are some some troubled people. Uh, You know, the Bible says David shepherded Israel. This is his beginning of his real shepherding. And I'm telling you, if you can shepherd these folks, the indebted, the discontented, and the distressed, that was his church family. Uh, and so he began to lead them. And if, if we had time, we could build on this, and you could find out that, that a lot of these guys became what's called his mighty men. How many of you know he had some mighty men? Uh, a couple of them, let's see, Eliezer, this is one guy. You had to be pretty tough if you were from this family. His name was Eliezer, son of Dodo depending on how you pronounce it. Okay, okay, you get it. So either way, you got to be tough. It's like the boy named Sue. You know, my daddy named me Sue. You ever heard Johnny Cash, you know? Uh, he named him Sue so he'd be tough. Uh, and I think he ended up cutting off a piece of somebody's ear, by the way, but I don't remember the song. But these guys became mighty men under the leadership of David, okay? And so, and so David begins, he leads these guys and he begins to develop his leadership skills with this discontented, this de- indebted, this, de- this uh, uh, distressed crowd. And we see in 1 Samuel 24, uh, we'll slip on over there, uh, David has an interesting experience uh, in the wilderness of En Gedi. Now, I know the answer to this at least through one. Anyone here ever been to the caves of En Gedi. I know he's not listening. Anyone here ever been with me to the caves of En Gedi? Okay. <laughs> now, when you've been there, this is probably, though we cannot confirm this, it has to be. I mean, just almost, this has to be from a geographical standpoint where we were in the wilderness and the caves of Engedi. It's just, it's this, it's this crevasse up through this mountain where, where water is just pouring out of the mountain. 
And there's goats and things all around because there's vegetation, because there's water. There's caves in this thing. And, and I, Ryan, did you go to the top? I didn't go to the top. You, you got to be bad to the bone to go to the top. Uh, but uh, we didn't go to the top. But it's a cool place. This is where David was. Okay? He is hiding out in the caves of Gedi. Long story short, uh, uh, Saul shows up. Uh, and uh, David uh, um, cut off some of his robe, and that even grieved him. But he actually spared his life. David could have killed him. All right? He doesn't kill him. And if I think, I, if I think I'm right, though I didn't, I'm not reading the story well, I think it may have been the, the case where David, pardon me, Saul went in to relieve himself. And uh, is, that the, is that it? He came, went in to relieve himself. Uh, and David could have killed him while he was on the potty. Lord, I don't know if this is going on the internet or not. We may not. Okay. Hey, don't, don't hit that yet. I'm not up there yet. Okay, back up. I'll get that in a second. I'm just telling stories right now. There you go. All right. So he saves his life in 1 Samuel 24. And then in 1 Samuel 26, David spares Saul's life a second time. Why? Because he loves him. What's Saul trying to do? Kill him. Okay. David spares his life. Okay, 1 Samuel 27, he ends up being allied with who? The Philistines. Hello? Who was Goliath? A Philistine. Now, I don't know why I didn't read it in depth, but, you know, when, when, when your master, if you will, your king is trying to kill you, you're running out of options. You're either independent or you network with somebody. And so David starts networking with the Philistines. And, and the leader of the Philistines at the time, was it Achish? A, I can't remember his name. Achish or somebody. Yeah, Achish. He really liked David. And so he, he promised him, man, we're buds forever. We're go, hey, we're in. Everybody, everybody give somebody a fist bump. Fist bump. We're in. Boom. We're in. That's, that's the way they were. But the rest of the Philistine armies are going, uh-uh-uh-uh. We don't trust this guy. He used to serve. And he loves Jonathan. Come on now. They didn't trust him. And so Achish had to go back on his word. And now we find David. He's just all alone again with his 400 distressed, indebted, and, and uh, uh, whatever the other D was. D indebted, distressed, discontented, whatever. I mean, these bad guys. Uh, okay, so he's, he's a man without a country now. And so he goes back home in 1 Samuel 30, and the Amalekites have plundered Ziklag. And now that's where that story I just told you about, and they've lost it all. And that's where David goes in and asks God to speak to him. God speaks to him and says, Pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail recover it all. And then 1 Samuel 31, uh, uh, pretty much around the same time that David's the Amalekites overwhelmed Ziklag. The Philistines had attacked the Israelites in 1 Samuel 31. And Saul and Jonathan both are killed. And I won't get into the details of that story. So with that in mind, let me just lay out the scenario of David's life. I want to build something here. Now we're getting where I want to go, Ike. Uh, the scenario with David. Number one, he was pretty much rejected by his dad. Everybody place a pause, hit the pause button. Boom. How many of you know the whole world's filled with daddy issues? 
In fact, I'm, I'm teaching a session, Ryan, uh, at our conference. I made mention of this at our board meeting with the Church on the Rock, Internet, uh, Church on the Rock Network of Ministers. And they said, you're going to teach a session and lead a session on daddy issues. I went, oh, no, I've got my own daddy issues. I don't know if I can lead people with their issues. i, I got my own daddy issues. And, uh, but I, I've done a little bit of a study. How many of you know, uh, uh, when you just Google and study uh, uh, absentee fathers, you just get shocked by the terrible statistics that absentee fathers, uh, if not carefully worked through, uh, even in, catch this, this is bizarre, infant mortality rates are higher. I'm talking infant mortality rates are higher when there's no father in, the pl- in play. You can figure out why maybe, but it's just bizarre, everything. And, and, and so about everybody, hey, I got my own set of daddy issues. I've, I've, I've shared that with you before that I think I'm getting healed of. Pretty much think so. I've been a pretty good daddy. I hope my kids don't have too many daddy issues. Nathan's here. He's doing okay, I guess. And Stacy's here. Uh, they're adults now. Uh, Nathan will have refused to get married and be a daddy. He may have some serious daddy issues. I don't know. But David had daddy issues. Undoubtedly, his daddy didn't even recognize him as a son when the prophet showed up. You know, when we think about David, we think about as the king, you know, and, and, and all his splendor and glory. But he was a flawed man. But the New Testament says about him, now, even with all his, his issues, you know what the New Testament says about him? He was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he overcame some serious daddy issues. All right? He was rejected by dad. He was rebuffed by his brothers. You remember when he went to the Philistines and, uh, and the Goliath, his brothers started, they just rebuffed him. They thought, get out of here. Why have you come down here? Get out of our hair. Goodness gracious. He had brother issues. He was rebuffed by his brothers. He was resented by Saul. There was resentment, and we talked about that. I shared that with you. And then he was refused by the lowliest of people and should have been in his mind. The Philistines didn't want him. Rejected by dad, rebuffed by brothers, resented by Saul, refused by the Philistines, and almost retaliated upon by his close comrades in war when they said, maybe we just need to stone him. The leader of us all may need to be stoned. And we're not talking about smoking a doobie. Some of you don't even know what doobies are. You know. What are they called? No, you don't know what you don't know what that you don't know what a doobie is, do you, Randall? Okay, he doesn't know. He just never heard of that in his life. So there's David. All of these things have come upon him. He has lost it all. How many of you know, that would, in my mind, this is a good time. If there ever was somebody who had a, 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 a free pass just to chuck it in, the chuck in the towel, it's David right here. Daddy issues. Brothers don't like him. Even Saul, who he served with a loyal heart, uh, tried to throw spears at him and kill him. The Philistines don't want him. And now my close friends, they want to have a rock party in my honor. 
And I've lost my wives. I'll just go ahead and say it. He had a couple. I can't handle but one. I don't know why on earth he would have two. That's another subject. I'll, I'll defer to the Old Testament scholars in the room to figure out why, why he had a more than one. Hmm. And, it's, and his kids, they're gone. He, he just got through weeping till there was no more power to weep. Has anybody ever been at that place? I've never been there. I've lost my daddy and my mama. My daddy suddenly, I wept a whole lot, but I don't think I wept till there was no more power to weep. And that's where this story picks up. And let me just say, as I'll show, that's where this story that I read to you, this, this, this example of Ziklag, how David responded in Ziklag is what turned him toward the will of God for his life like never. It, it, when this happened, within days and weeks, what was spoken over him in 1 Samuel 16 about being the king began to be realized. How you handle the hard times determines whether or not you will arrive at the destiny of God for your life. Had David chucked it right here, the will of God would have gone unattended. And the promises of God would have gone, oh, it just, God, oh my goodness, OMG. This is, a, this is a pivot point in the history of God's purpose and plan in the earth, not just for David, but for all of us. Okay? Where did Jesus come from, by the way? The line of who? Anybody know? David, thank you. Okay. So, now... With all that in mind, let me give you some more post-prelude info. After Goliath, post-Goliath prelude to this victory moment in his life where he pursued and recovered it all. There was some characteristic going on that put him in a place to be able to do such a thing in the middle of such great pressure. Remember, it says he was greatly distressed. He was under great pressure. Here's some things I found in a few of the verses, chapters that I quickly went through just a few moments ago. In the middle of life, he endeavored to always behave wisely. Everyone say behave wisely. Look at 1 Samuel 18. 1 Samuel 18. Remember, I, I hinted at this quickly. Saul resents David. Saul has slain his thousands. David is his ten thousands. Saul was very angry, verse 8, and it displeased him. But look down, oh, let's fast forward. In the middle of all this uh, uh, trouble with Saul, look down in the middle of it, verse 13 uh, and 14. And David behaved wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. My goodness, that tells me whole bunches. That in all his ways, everyone say in all his ways. Listen, you don't just arrive at a place 
where, where you have got to the bottom of the barrel in life and able to respond like David did in 1 Samuel 30 to get into the presence of God and hear such a great word, pursue, for you shall uh, surely overtake them and without fail over, uh, 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 recover it all. Listen, in all his ways, he addressed his life with wisdom and insight. Listen, we've got to understand all our ways have to be under the guidance and governance and the wisdom of God in our life. In all his ways, he behaved wisely. Financially, spiritually, relationally. I'm wanting to get a little distracted, but let me throw this out because I know I'm preaching to the choir. There are some people, they jump out of the frying pan into the fire. I've actually told people, this is what you need to do. This is the wisdom of God for you. This is the word of the Lord for you. I've prophesied to people in the middle of their pressure point. If you do this, you will be, this is where you need to go. If you do this, it'll be wise. If you do that, that will be stupid. But because of the habit of stupidity in people's life, they just, for some reason, just think, you know, I'm going to somehow just let my stupidity uh, lead me once again and, and just you just jump out of the frying pan into the fire and I know I'm preaching to the choir here and that's not you but listen how many of you know some people that, that are that way good Lord have mercy and, and they, you wonder they wonder why on earth hey in all your ways behave wisely the wisdom of God if anyone lacks wisdom what James say let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally but let him ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like of the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind let not that man expect that he will receive anything from God but if you need wisdom you ask ask him and you ask in faith he'll give you wisdom about your finances he'll give you wisdom about the traumas of life he'll give you wisdom about the question marks of life there are question marks of life that we may never get answered but we'll have wisdom in the middle of those question marks on how we walk through life in the middle of the question marks somebody say amen whoo i love that everybody say he behaved wisely number two we learn in, in these uh, passages of scripture that he led loyally let me show you this he led his people with a loyal heart. And without going too deep into it, uh, um, let me show you this uh, with the distressed and the discontented and the indebted. Uh, he led them and he cared for them. You know, it's just the fact that who they were and he led them. He was loyal to them. How many of you know he was loyal to them? And over the course of time, we learned that they became very loyal to him. And uh, at one point, he asked for some water from the pools of... Uh, uh, Bethesda, the pools of Siloam inside the walls, and his mighty men slipped uh, through the ranks without even asking and brought him out a glass of water because they loved him. He was loyal to them. They were loyal to him, and he couldn't even drink it. He was so overwhelmed by them risking their life to get him a fresh drink of water, he actually poured it out as an offering to the Lord. I'm sure Eleazar went, And there are other passages where 1 Chronicles 12 talks about him leading with a, with a loyal heart. And those people became loyal to him. He, he led loyally these people. Even when they spoke of stoning him, he remained loyal to them. How many of you know he, those people that talked about throwing him a rock party in his honor? When he got out of the presence of the Lord, the anointing of God was on him. I'm just I'm reading between the lines here. 
And 400 people said, I'm all in. Only two of them made the end of the journey, but something about his time with God stirred that loyal heart back up in there. He led loyally. Uh, and he lived humbly. Here's an interesting little story. I, I skipped over it. Chapter 23. David, uh, uh, then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kileah. And they're robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kileah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to the Kileah, uh, however you say his name, against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kileah, for I have delivered the Philistines in your hand. And David and his men went to Kileah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kileah. Now, let me just, hey, he's the leader, right? He gets in the presence of God. God says, go get them uh, and deliver these people from the Philistines. He gets his guys together. This is what we're going to do. This is what God said. And they questioned his authority. They questioned his spirituality. They questioned his leadership choices. And we don't find David going, Hey, I'm the... Ball's here, get in line. Hey, I've been hearing God on your behalf for save your rears from the, the Philistines already. Hey, nope, none of that. You know what he did? He was willing to go back for another shot. To me, that reflects the humility of leadership. Hey, we got question marks here. Let's just make sure. And he sought the Lord, and God confirmed that he was hearing the Lord. And in a way, all the mighty men said, that's all we wanted to know. And away they went. He lived humbly. And number four, he respected authority. Without showing you the two passages, I mentioned them, uh, where he could have killed Saul. He didn't kill Saul because he said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul was no longer the Lord's anointed, he realized he was still in a position of authority. And he respected that authority. I think without going too deep, this is huge here. Because if you don't respect and follow authority, how can you follow the voice of God who speaks to you and says, Pursue, for you shall doubtless recover it all. You see, if we don't respect earthly authority, how on earth are we going to be able to obey heavenly authority? That's a principle in Scripture. In fact, Jesus taught some parables about that. If you can't follow your earthly authorities and listen to them, how are you going to serve me? How are you going to be able to hear God? And when you disrespect authority, and when you undermine authority, that principle is so powerfully true that because rebellion against authority, the Bible says rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. The first sin was not eating the apple. It was Satan undermining God's authority in heaven. He rebelled. And so 
Respecting of authority and obeying authority is huge in being victorious when the chips are down. And David, hey, the chips were down in his life in 1 Samuel 30. But he respected authority. In fact, I'm going to fast forward. This is just a little insight here. Uh, uh, After Saul and David are killed, the story goes, uh, uh, a wounded warrior comes hobbling into David's camp. And they said, where are you from? And I think he was an Amalekite. I'm not sure. But uh, he said, what happened? He said, well, uh, Saul and Jonathan are dead. And he tells the story of how when he came upon them, Saul was mortally wounded, but he wasn't dead. And he asked this soldier to basically finish him off. And the soldier gladly obliged. And when David heard the story of this soldier who had finished him off, and the soldier basically said, hey, he's dying anyway, I'm just helping him out. When David heard the story, he went and got one of his soldiers, says, that guy right there, take him out. He touched the Lord's anointing. Whoo, that's serious business. He respected authority. Okay, so there you go. That's, that's post-Goliath. That's, that's some things going on in David's life prior to this 1 Samuel 30 where God speaks to him and says, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them without fail, recover it all. Now, now we're getting down, now we're getting down to the real nitty-gritty here. Some post-pressure response. How did he respond uh, uh, when he got to Ziklag and the, 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 the city was burned and all the family, families had been taken captive? How he responded. Now, let me just say, the, the reason he was able to respond the way he did in this moment of intense pressure was not because of just a great grace came upon him that day. It's because of the behaving wisely, leading loyally, living humbly, respecting authority. Even when he had been rejected by dad, rebuffed by his brothers, resented by Saul, and refused by the Philistines, and even almost retaliated upon by his own men. He responded in some ways that are absolutely amazing. Here they are. He refused bitterness. Let me show you some words. It says, if you go back to 1 Samuel 30, let me show you these words. It says, they wept till there was no more power to weep. And it says, David was under distress. He was greatly distressed. I already told you what that means. Under great pressure. Okay, he was under great pressure for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Everyone say grieved. Now that sounds a pretty, that sounds like a pretty docile word. It's a little, it's a little stouter than grieved. It means bitter because all the people were bitter. How many of you know sometimes if you're not ready for it, intense pressure makes you bitter rather than better? And that's the way it was with all this. The distress, they still deal with their daddy issues. The distress, the discouraged, the indebted, all of a sudden under intense pressure. And, they, that, and they've wept till there's no more power to weep. And they became bitter. And they said, we're going to stone you. 
Let me tell you, let me tell you what bitter people do under intense pressure. They start pointing the finger at everybody else. Not David. If anybody could have played the bitter card, it would have been him. I got daddy issues. I'm chucking it. He refused it. The pressure of those guys poisoned them. How many of you know when, pressure, when you get pressured, what, what's inside comes out? And they got bitter. He refused bitterness. Everyone say refused bitterness. Here's the next thing. Now, this is huge. Everybody say this is huge. What's huge? What's huge? He took responsibility. He was under the pressure as the leader, and he took responsibility. What were the other guys doing? Blaming everybody else. Pointing the finger. Hey, he took responsibility, and it says, And David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He said, I've got a responsibility here. OMG, things are going bad. Now, now my, own, my, own, uh, 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 my, my close friends are thinking of stoning me. They're talking, they're bitter. They're just, oh my God, what am I going to do? I've got to encourage myself in the Lord my God. I've got to take responsibility for my, for my life. I don't know if I can save them, but I've got to take responsibility for myself right now. And listen, that's where a lot of people, they defer that to, they, they go, they, they point the finger, they play the blame game. Well, you know, my daddy, oh, my mama, my brother, my boss, oh, it's always somebody else's fault. David didn't do that. David didn't come, to, he didn't even come before the Lord and say, you know, God and my daddy and no Saul and all these people. He didn't get bitter. He took responsibility for the moment and he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Listen, there's a time to weep, but then there's a time to say, okay, now I've got to stand up and take responsibility for this moment and not respond incorrectly, but respond rightly under this pressure of my life, this great distress, this pressure point. How am I going to respond? I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to get something. I realize that, hey, if I'm going to get through this, it's going to be from the inside out. I've got to encourage myself in the Lord my God. Oh, and when you read the Psalms, man, the Psalms are full of that. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who heals all thy diseases and, and keeps you from a lot of that. That's where my quotation capacity ran out. But what's he doing? He's, he's encouraging himself. Hey, have you ever looked in the mirror and said, bless the Lord, O oh my soul? Have you ever looked in the mirror and said, hey, get up, get going, praise him, give him the glory. He heals all our, he forgives all our iniquities and heals all our diseases and, and, and takes good care. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me. He took responsibility for his life. Whew. Number three, he was all in spiritually. I've done used two poker terms. His chips were down, and he's all in spiritually. Now, interesting thing, I'm still pondering it, but I think I figured it out. But there's questions. Only the priest could wear the priestly garment. 
And he called the priest and he said, bring me the linen ephod, the priestly garment. And if you had a, if we had a little time, we'd go and study it. In the, in the priestly garment, there was some stones called the Urim and the Thummim. I think I got it right. Thummim, 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 Thummim. Everybody say Urim. Put the M on. Urim. Not the N. And the Thummim. Now, I, without getting too deep, the priest, those, the, the priestly garment, it was beautiful. Uh, the Urim and, Urim and the Thummim were, were used at the place of prayer to, to, in some way, help get in contact and fellowship with God. It's interesting. I don't go too deep there because I, I'll drown. Uh, but the priest was the only one to wear this thing. David was not a priest, Right? And I, I, I threw out this question to two or three folks. I threw it out to Josh. I said, okay, when people who are not priests start trying to do priestly things in the Old Testament, God doesn't dig it, and people lost their lives when they would try to do priestly things or, uh, you know, when they were not the priest. And so uh, you don't try to be a priest if you're not a priest. Don't be something you're not. And David said, bring me the priestly garment. Uh, and so I threw it out at Josh. And Josh chewed on it a little bit, and he came back. Was it this morning? He came back this morning, and he texted me, or, or yesterday, he said, oh, no, he told me this pretty quick in the convo. He said, it doesn't say he wore it. And I went, huh. So here's what happened this morning. I text my friend Sonny, because I'm coming all out. I said, Sonny, okay, because I'd already quizzed him about that, and he wouldn't even respond to me. He just answered a question with a question, and I knew he didn't want to deal with me. So then I threw him Josh's little quote. I said, Josh says he didn't wear it. Doesn't say he wore it. So Sonny came back after a little study. He says, you know, potentially it's this. He knew the priest had the garment. He called the priest and said, bring the garment. Doesn't say he wore it. He engaged the office of the priest in his behalf. He, he knew I got to get to the heart of this issue in a hurry. And I need the priest. I need the Urim and the Thummim. I need him here. I need all. It's all in. I, all hands on deck. And the only person I know that's not out to stone me is the preacher. Or the priest. He can't do that. And he has the garment. He has one of the keys to really get God's attention. So with that in mind. He calls the priest and brings the linen ephod, the priestly ephod. And I, uh, gosh, it just would have been interesting to be there. I just would like to see how this went, went down. But he starts praying and God starts speaking. Now, here's the next one. He asked appropriately. What would most people ask God in the middle of such a pressure point? I've heard it a hundred times, if not a thousand. Why? If God loved me so much, why would he allow these Amalekites? We've been out serving you, Lord, and we come home, and the Amalekites have come and robbed our, our families, took our stuff, burned our houses. Why, Lord, did you let this happen to me? Have you ever heard that kind of prayer? 
I think he'll let me tell this story. Tom Schaefer, my dear friend in Mexico, whoops, his wife was diagnosed, oh gosh, not too long ago with some form of dementia, four or five years ago. Am I still on? Okay. We had a good long talk the last time I was there. He said, Sam, you know, I really went through it. Why would God allow a woman who had given her heart to the Mexican people like she had, who loved people so dearly and took care of these people like I wouldn't even take care of? Why would God let this happen to her? Why, Lord, did you do this to me? That's just the way we naturally are. He said this at the end. He said, now I've worked through all that. I've got beyond that. But I thought it was a great illustration of where most of us land when we, when we as good people go through hard times. We start blaming God and trying to figure it out. But David didn't even go there. He didn't even question the pressure. Now, this is what I call a man of God. He didn't even question. Why did this happen to me? Why have it been daddy issues, brother issues, Saul issues, Philistine issues, and now my own people, friends issues? He didn't even ask. He asked the one question that got him the right answer. Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And when, listen, when you ask rightly, God will speak to you clearly. We keep asking God things about question marks. We have no, hey, listen, who cares? Evidently, God didn't care. Now you say, wait, he did care. But how many of you know God's plan is much bigger than your plan? And sometimes we ask all the wrong questions and we get no right answers. And we think God doesn't love us. You've got to start answering the right questions. He asked appropriately. And he listened intently, undoubtedly. That's the next one. Listen, when you get in the presence of God, in the place of great pressure, you better ask, hey, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little tongue, what you say. Now, our words are powerful. You, when you get in the presence, <laughs> I think of... Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's God, uh, pardon me, there's Jesus, there's Moses and Elijah. And Peter, the, the Greek rendering says, not knowing what to say, he said this. Have you ever been there and done that before? I don't know what to say, but I'm going to say something. And he came up with a grand idea. Okay, I got an idea. Let's build a church for you, you, and you. And we'll all stay here and worship Jesus on the mountain. We'll worship. Oh, hallelujah. And uh, God interrupts the, all of them. 
There's Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, Peter, and John. God interrupts all of them, and God looks down and says, This is my beloved son. Hear him. You know my translation? Shut up. You better stop talking and start listening. He listened intently. He asked appropriately and then listened intently. And then then he responded immediately. He, he responded immediately once he got it. So David went, hey, look at nine. Uh, here's the word. Verse eight, the last part, pursue for you shall doubtless, uh, for sh- you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Verse nine, so David spent three more days in the presence of the Lord and worshiped the Lord and took up offerings and uh, enjoyed him. So David went. Everyone say, so David went. In other words, hey, when you get the right answer, get up and go. Don't don't rock, paper, scissors. Don't, hey, you got it. Get up and go. So David went. God spoke, so David went. God said, pursue. So David went. He responded immediately. And the last one, he pursued persistently. He pursued persistently. Now, As I mentioned to you a few moments ago, uh, 200 of them just wore out at the brook Bezor. And the other two just kept on going. And they pursued persistently, and they recovered it all. Now, the results, everyone say the results. It's obvious, but let me just throw it at you. He recovered completely. He recovered it completely. And not only completely, there was great, uh, uh, they, they got all the, the, the spoils from the Amalekites. They came back, and, and even the 200, the 200 that went, they still, uh, in fact, the Bible says they, they, st- they were wicked and worthless. Look in verse 22. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. And David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into the hand, de- delivered us into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to battle so shall his part be who stays by the stuff or the supplies and they shall share alike he was a generous man I didn't throw that in but he recovered completely and not only did he get back what what he went for he got a whole bunch more than what he went for and now I mentioned to it a few moments ago and this successful recovery Based upon the character and how David responded rightly, the will of God began to kick in gear in his life. In fact, within days he realized Saul and Jonathan are killed. And I think within days, in 2 Samuel 2 verse 4, he's anointed the king of Judah. He went from a ragtag band of guys of discontented, uh, indebted, and and distressed guys to the king of Judah. Just like Samuel said in 1 Samuel 16. 
And though I don't have all my history together and how this all plays in, 2 Samuel chapter 5, he becomes the king of Israel, of whom Saul used to be the king. Hello. Everybody say, will of God. Man, the will of God doesn't just happen, does it? Tell, tell three people, the will of God doesn't just happen. I've met people, I'm just waiting on the will of the Lord. Just, the will of God doesn't just happen. He realized the will of God for his life. Wow. Everyone say, pursue. For you shall surely overtake them. And without fail, recover it all. Amen. Let's stand up together.